This week's episode of Screen Talk is brought to you by Spectrum. This award season, Spectrum and IndieWire invite you to spend time with some of the year's biggest nominees in our Contender Conversation series. Each week, we're adding exclusive new videos featuring the filmmakers and stars behind some of the year's most acclaimed titles. This week, find out how writer Taylor Sheridan came up with the idea for his modern-day western, Hell or High Water, and listen to Hugh Grant discuss how he prepared for his role in the award-winning film Florence Foster Jenkins. These interviews and many more are available right now. Just look at the award season spotlight area of IndieWire.com. And of course, don't forget to watch the movies. Both Hell or High Water, which is great, and Florence Foster Jenkins are ready to watch right from home, right now, with Spectrum On Demand. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief critic. Joined, as always, by Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large. And last time we spoke from our condo at Sundance, now we're back to our respective uh, home bases, me in New York and in Los Angeles. And, uh, well, I guess we survived Sundance, although it's always hard to tell for a couple of days afterwards exactly what you did. I've been sleeping a lot. Let's put it that way. (laughs) It It was quite an ordeal. I think we were overall really happy with the experiences we had. Although I have to say, before we get into the state of the bigger awards race with the Oscars, it's worth talking a little bit about the Sundance Awards because uh, those are always an interesting kind of a thing. I mean, it's... uh, They're not always the films that people are really actually buzzing about, which tend to be more of the more accessible uh, acquisitions titles like The Big Sick or Patty Cakes, which were sort of... And and Call Me By Your Name. These were the ones that were were really the big the big hits of the festival. It's an arbitrary thing because you just you have a jury and the jury sits down and just talks things through. But it's also the they're pretty big competition sections and I mean it's 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 hard to really make any general assumptions unless you have one movie that rules them all. Last year it seemed like a no brainer and was that Birth of a Nation would dominate much in the same way I think a couple of years ago with Beasts of the Southern Wild or something like that. This year, Patty Kicks seemed to sort of have that momentum, but at the same time, it was such a Sundancey movie in the cliched sense that it plays to the audience that you could also see it having the, the reverse effect where people didn't want to reward that. And that seems to yeah, have been Yeah, it was the a case. little too populist for this particular jury, clearly. It was a quirky But I didn't group. see. I did not see the movie that won, did you? I, I did eventually see it towards the end of the festival. It screened on the opening night which conflicted with our very, very popular chili party. party. So I had a good excuse for missing it. First things first. I was looking forward to it. It was the the directorial debut from a guy named Macon Blair, who is Jeremy Saulnier's close contributor. I actually first encountered him as the star of of Saulnier's first film, Murder Party, which very few people saw at one slam dance in, I think, 2007, something like that. And these these guys grew up together. They work together very closely. They share sort of edgy genre sensibilities and it's a really fun wacky kind of you know tarantino light crime story with melanie linsky as this woman trying to get back some stuff that was stolen from her house and she should joins give our forces. readers the title which oh, is yes, i don't feel title. at home in this world anymore <laughs> it's an easy one it's an easy one to forget and it's tough to squeeze and into it's a headlines. tough mouthful yeah <laughs> But here's the thing about this movie. I don't feel at home alone in this world anymore, which is actually the title of a song you hear in the movie. So it's not it's, it, it, it works in context. It's um, it was produced by Netflix. It'll be 
on Netflix in uh, February. And I think it's notable that it speaks to the state of our industry much in the same way that a lot of these deals that Amazon and Netflix closed out of the festival, that the film that won the grand jury prize is not something that's going to go on to be some big phenomenon playing in a bunch of theaters and generating a lot of word of mouth in that sense, but actually it's just going to be in most people's living rooms and just sort of live there in a couple of weeks. And it's perfectly suited for that. It's a it's a fun, wacky genre movie. It's not doing anything you've never seen before, but it's got some solid performances. Uh, people who want that kind of movie are going to be satisfied with it. I think that was a very interesting choice, as was Dina, the film that won the Grand Jury Prize for Documentary, uh, which is uh, the second film from the people who made Mala Mala last year and is about a middle-aged woman with Asperger's syndrome uh, who's basically engaged to who, the man who will be her second husband. She went through a traumatic experience earlier in life, and it's just a very sweet, tender story that's kind of verite, but very well staged in a way that almost feels like a scripted narrative. So it's very well done, but like I don't feel at home alone in in this world anymore, it's not a big movie. It's not trying to make some big statement. And so I think it it is notable that in a year in which, you know, there was so much political talk going on, there were a lot of movies about big issues going on. You know, you have something like... uh, Matthew Heinemann's City of Ghosts that, that sells to Amazon for $2 million, and yet the movie Which is that a wins, terrific movie, very strong movie. Very well done, and, and, and certainly something that... Very much about Syria, which is very timely. Right. And yet... And you, could be... I, I would say that that movie will be one of the Oscar contenders, you know, at the end of the day, uh, uh, as Sundance always does, supply a few... Um, this, I, did I you? Also, you must have seen the Jean, casting Jean Benet as well. Casting Jean Benet, I, I really enjoyed, and I'm sure that among the documentary jurors, Robert Green, who made Kate plays Christine uh, last year, which, which won a writing prize from the documentary jury, probably uh, appreciated that one, which has no archival footage or talking heads in the traditional sense. It's all auditions of actors trying to play characters. For a uh, for a, a kind of non-existent movie based on this murder that happened in Boulder, Colorado, 20 years ago, so it's it, it's very innovative, and that also is going to be on Netflix in in a couple of weeks. But I, I also thought um, Strong Island was very very impressive, which is Yancey Ford's uh, story of what happens when um, his uh, his brother is a victim of a shooting. 20 years ago, and he kind of looks for answers, and it's got this kind of very tender, diaristic approach that I was I was impressed by. But but that's not. The I also I also thought that the uh, environmental docs could could end up being. Uh, I mean, Chasing Coral was really strong, beautiful, stunning to look at. Unfortunate that it's going to be seen on Netflix, and uh, just in terms of its visual power. And then uh, Icarus um, was was very good. Uh, this uh, uh, Russian doping scandal movie, which is also very slick and and well made. I was a little mixed on Icarus. I thought it was, but but I do think that there is something. It's a talking point kind of a movie in the sense that it starts out being about doping in sports in the U.S. and then kind of expands into this much bigger expose on the Russian doping scandal and, and Russia's conspiratorial efforts are obviously in the news lately. So there was certainly a lot of topicality at Sundance this year, even if it's not 
what won. But I but I do I do think there is. Did something, you see the uh, Rory Kennedy one on Laird Hamilton? That was. Very I missed good. that one. Yeah, Gosh, there's so many strong. movies. I mean, it, that, that's the thing. Also, I find fascinating about Sundance is that the narrative out of the festival doesn't necessarily tell you what the lives of these individual films is going to be. You know, you look at the films that won the, the top awards, and then you look at the films that got distribution, and then you look at what these different movies are about and how they might play. And it could be a very different situation three months down the line or six months down the line. I mean, Call Me By Your Name wasn't even in a competition slot or anything like that, and yet that was the critics' darling. And that one's Part weird. of it is about popping out of the pack. I mean, part of what you're talking about are the movies that are unlike any other movies. And that's what you get with, in a weird way, Call Me By Your Name is a lot like a lot of other movies, but it's not like any of the other movies at Sundance. It, it does it was stand sophisticated out. It's a bit of an and anomaly. And, yeah, it's a European art house movie. Old school, yeah. But I, I liked it quite a bit. I thought it was, it was strikingly gorgeous and... Um, you know, it felt like something that could have been made 30 years ago exactly. for the risque material, but it, but it is uh, But the risque material was, was presented in a not-so-risque way. It wasn't so much about gay identity as it was about some kind of Greek ideal of, uh, yeah, that's of true. romantic, it, it homosexual yes. bonding. <laughs> it is about man-boy love in a very romanticized yeah. way, although yeah. there is a peach scene that will keep people talking for a while. <laughs> Perhaps that one may not Artfully, have made it. Artfully designed, yes. Yeah, but I mean, that's and Sony Classics had that before the festival started. It's it's kind of a smart well, they place it to up for six million it. and saved themselves some money because if it had been bid for, it would have been a, a more expensive proposition. Yeah, exactly. Like Especially so many eager buyers this year. Yeah. I do, yeah. I do think it's smart that that movie launched at Sundance, even though it seemed out of place because it is a a, a very quiet, tender story. And if you put that in, say, competition at Cannes where it's competing with who knows what kind of, you know, globally recognized auteurs. No, for they did it right. They were very smart. I think it was a, a, a wily move. So that's, And they knew what they were doing. They knew that it would, what, would, what they thought what would happen would happen. And that's why they did it. Very meticulously done. Sometimes when you know people are pulling strings from behind the scenes in our world, it, it actually is comforting because, you know, they're, they're going to get this movie out in the world. And <laughs> Some intelligence. Yeah, yeah. Involved. It's like, hey, that was a good move, guys. Well <laughs> which played. brings us to the craziness of the Muslim ban, which is what we hit when we got back home to Crazily Trump enough, reality. I mean, this was happening. This started unfurling hours before the Sundance Awards. I mean, it was like as as Sundance was winding down, there was like this reality check that set in. It was, it was a it was a weird moment to be caught between those two kinds of events, and another reminder that you know this insular film festival world is is very limiting in terms of you know what we see, but also has certain connections because you naturally you know when you're dealing with a global film of any kind of global industry, if something affects the way that people travel, you're going to see the immediate reverberations of it. There were people at Sundance this year who were affected by the ban, and as we now know, there are Oscar nominees affected by it as well. So, so. you've got um, Asghar Farhadi, the Iranian director of the Oscar-nominated The Salesman, his lead actress as well. Uh, Tarana Aladusti uh, will not be attending the awards in protest. And, um, and the weird thing that's going to come out of this, in a way, is that it gives not only a lot of attention to the salesman, it might force or inspire many uh, Oscar voters, potential Oscar voters for foreign to actually watch 
the movie. They're supposed to watch all five of them, but we know, we never know. But I think it could push uh, the movie into first place as far as being a potential winner now, because the you know it's very clear that Oscar voters are trying and and various awards voters from from the SAG awards going to Denzel Washington uh, and Hidden Figures to to uh, the this particular uh, ca category you could have uh, statements being made anti-Trump statements being. Made and and that was why I suggested that Moonlight might have a shot at sort of challenging La La Land. Is that really going to happen? It's unlikely. <laughs> La La Land is is probably going to win. You know, I'm counting maybe nine uh, awards, but but not all 14. But I do think the Salesman now has a shot at, at winning Best Foreign Film. Over but I would Man say, I mean, Uva. yeah, I mean, Man Con Uva, which we didn't even expect to be a frontrunner until all of a sudden it kind of. It, Emerged. Well, we looked at it yeah. and we realized yeah. that it was a you know so a, this, a crowd. This has been an interesting kind of winding narrative ever since. And there's an, a woman in that movie too, who's who's not going to show up. Who who's, right. who's from from the Middle East? Right, Iranian, uh, half Iranian, half Norwegian, something like that. I mean, it's, right. it's kind of Norwegian fascinating. Citizen or something, yeah. But 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 the thing about the salesman is that. As much or as sweet, I think it is Sweden. sweet, sweet, yeah. right? Rene and Swedish, but the salesman, I think it deserves it, and and I say that because I am oh, one of those people who just. Movie. But I am one of those people who just caught up with it recently, so that skews my view. But I also am thinking in in terms of uh, if you were to look at all of the films in this category, I I think it may be the one that that is the most. Uh, uniformly successful piece of storytelling in terms of what it sets out to do. I think Tony Erdman has more cinematic ambition, but The Salesman is is a sort of it crystallizes what's so great about Farhadi as as a storyteller, which is why reminder sort of, everyone that he did direct a separation, which won separation. the Oscar a few years ago. I mean, he's been churning them out with a with with a kind of regularity over the years. It just makes him one of the great filmmakers were alive today you look at about ellie that was before a separation brought him all this attention it was already there the way that he's able to pick up on the the kind of nuances of communication so that it's not so much what people are saying as as, as what they're trying to say that drives the story forward i think that's just it's so well done in the salesman in in, in a way that it, i think also makes his style more accessible a separation wasn't for everyone because it was a very slow burn kind of experience and uh, I think some people would. Are, I'm not sure that a separation it. isn't more accessible than this one. I, I think because this one gets digs right into very arcane, if you like, or specific peculiarities of what the male identity is. Oh no doubt. I mean, it's a Iran. It's almost and it's like so a... foreign to our culture. I mean, it's related to how men might feel if their wife were assaulted in the shower, but there's a specific way of handling it in that culture. Well, that, sure, that but I, but different. I also think that that it, it universalizes whatever the specific nature of that is because it uses Death of a Salesman, which is the the play that they're re rehearsing over the These course of the movie. These are actors in the, yeah. in the movie. To, as, as sort of a, a barometer Husband for the emotions they're going through. Yeah, and it, and it does it, I think, very uh, in a very clever way, where it's almost like, you know, you, it makes you wonder how people cast themselves in their own stories. I mean, it's you think you might be heading towards some sort of rape-revenge story, story like Elle, but it, it doesn't... It doesn't quite go there, but it but it's more about 
you know, what does this man actually think his responsibilities are and what is the actual right thing to do in this situation? And I think it keeps that uh, element going in a way that turns it into a suspense film. And, and it gives uh, you the wife's point of view, too. That's not, no you know, it, it, it's a two-hander. So no, it's not I mean, it really comes down really. to the two of them being divided over what the right thing to do is. Right, in that exactly. I just feel like it, it really is, to me, maybe the best film in that section, certainly the most, uh, the tightest film in, in terms of storytelling. And um, the fact that there is now a broader political context only adds to the value of celebrating a movie like that because it is saying something really valuable for everyone about human behavior and also the the questions surrounding how do you do the right thing when you know the system fails you and this guy right. doesn't go to the police right he doesn't trust the police he never says that but it's just sort of a given like what are they going to do in this situation that he couldn't do better himself. And well, I feel we, like these questions come up a lot. We should recommend that people, people see this. It's out there. It's, it's in release now. And, uh, but the list is long of all these other movies where people are not going to be able to show up either to the indie spirits. Um, there's there's, there's um, this movie Sonita, which is nominated for Best Documentary. And, and then there's Under the Shadow, which is Baba Kanvari's film, which is Best International Submission. And, uh, and then there's something called the, the Dark Wind, which is having delays in terms of getting a, across the border. So it's really, and even um, Evgeny Avganiski, uh, who is a U.S. citizen and directed Cries from Syria, which was, was there uh, at, 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 at Sundance, um, you know, is, is really, uh, you know, worried about the people being able to come, come east, you know, come over and, and promote the film. So it's really a problem. Yeah, no, and, and and it's not the kind of thing that can be easily and, rectified either. I mean, it's going to be. And then there's White Helmets, which is one of the docs right. as well. And right, they they're nominated for be, for best short doc, and they they right. would have liked to bring some of the White Helmets to the ceremony, so they can't do. And that. then Matt Heineman's uh, movie uh, City of Ghosts. You know, I met those people who worked on that film. They were at Sundance, the the Raqqa, you know, uh, group, the the people that are doing journalism. These brave, heroic, anti-ISIS uh, journalists, you know, whose life lives are in danger, you know, serious danger. They are under threat. They are so heroic, and they they aren't going to be able to come here. So yeah, I mean, that's the thing disturbing. I think is, is striking about this is that I I do appreciate that. Uh, by virtue of what we do, you end up encountering people that legitimize these stories in a way that the media cycle cannot. I mean, you hear that 100,000 visas have been declined or, right. since, since this ban went out, and it's, it's a number. But when you think about the way that you, th these people have to deal with the, the practical fallout and the psychological impact that that has and the practical impact that that has on the different things that they do, that kind of changes the narrative. You know, I had a, when I was in Costa Rica in December, I had dinner with a, an Iranian filmmaker who was there named Mani Hagigi, who made a film called A Dragon Arrives that had premiered in Berlin earlier in the year. And I was asking him about, you know, why... Why don't you ever try to make movies outside of Iran? Don't don't you get frustrated with the censorship there? And he was saying, you know, look, if you work closely with the government there, you can make movies more or less the way that you want to. And that's not universally true, but he felt like the Western world 
has other kinds of compromises and is in some ways it can be riskier when you don't know what the rules are. And that's where we are right now. We don't know what the rules are. It's, it's going to be hard for the international film community to figure out exactly what it needs to do to deal with this ever-changing set of circumstances. I'm sure that uh, this year's Berlin will be reflecting some of that and, and can as well as, as the global film community continues to come together. But the Oscars will be a real open question in terms of just how political people are willing to get. From it's going to be interesting because if you do look at the um, Oscar documentary shorts, Jude Dry just did a good story, a roundup of, of all five. And I I saw The White Helmets, which is excellent, and I, which is an, on Netflix. You can stream that. Um, that's about the people who go in and help the, the bombings, the victims of the bombings in Syria. Very upsetting movie. But there's also this 4.1 Miles, which is on the New York Times op-doc site, which is so disturbing. Uh, it's sort of a mini version of Fire at Sea. And I, I watched that last night and I was weeping because the people who are, you, you, these movies enable you to get closer to, to the emotions and the terror and the lives that are at risk and the dead bodies. You know, it's just horrifying. Um, and then there's uh, Watani, My Homeland, which is about one family's migration from Aleppo to, to Germany. So there, these, 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 these stories, and I also was very um, moved by Extremist Interior, which is, which is this, you know, very much in, in line with, with Trump's immigration ban, you know, really disturbing interview between a guy who's, who's, who's a, uh, come, came from Algeria years, you know, before who wants to, who's been in France his whole life, he's an Arab who wants to become, uh, a citizen and what he is put through. And, uh, it's just, uh, there's a lot to, to chew on right now. Yeah. And a lot of those, those shorts are going to be opening next week. So, so people will have more opportunities to check them out. But I do wonder about the, the bigger picture here, about the La La Land versus Moonlight thing. I mean, we t you alluded to this earlier, but I, I, it makes me wonder, what, what do you actually need to do to message to people that Moonlight is the movie that needs that kind of support right now? Because, you know... Well, I'm going to say that, that the Oscar race is the Oscar race, and you have six thousand people, you know, you have people who, who come from all the different craft branches and Moonlight in its own right is, is a remarkably strong contender, um, given that it's a small film. If you think about it, it got nominations through many of the crafts like cinematography uh, that you wouldn't necessarily assume that a small little movie like this would would get, and it's a testament to how well made the movie uh, really is that, that it would have a nomination. How impressed people are, you know? That yeah. So I think it's a strong. I think of all the movies that I mean, that you could argue that you that 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 uh, Moonlight and. Um, Hidden Figures, which is surging at the box office and won the SAG Ensemble, and Fences, which is doing very well, and Denzel won uh, at SAG. You you could argue that all three of those are going to split the vote from people who want to make some kind of inclusion point. You know, I mean, there are three three movies uh, in the in the Best Picture race, and and you could add a Lion too. You know, but but the 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 thing is, it's hard to argue with those fourteen nominations for La La Land. It's more of the consensus. This film. So some people might vote for Moonlight. Some people might vote for Mo Lion. Some people might vote for for uh, Fences. You see, it may, may not be entirely a consensus for one film versus uh, versus La La Land.
So there's some other open questions in, in major categories, and, and one of them is, is best actor, which has not changed in terms of who the front runners are, but I am curious about the state of the conversation. Uh, earlier uh, this week, you did a video conversation with some of the other pundits out there, and there was talk of Denzel really having momentum. Very little talk about Casey Affleck, which I was I was sort of surprised. I think by I that. think what you what you didn't what you have to assume is that everybody was was going from the place that Casey Affleck has been the lead uh, contender for the Best Actor. You Oscar don't even have to say it long. anymore. And he won every single thing. He's won everything. So it until SAG, and that's when the momentum turned. And so I talked about momentum because that you can tell. You can just tell that Fences and Hidden Figures, which are the last ones out of the gate, have more momentum right now going into the final voting than Manchester by the Sea or Moonlight, which have been around for a while. Moonlight, at least— is hitting theaters for the first time in 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 more cities around the country. So it could be picking up some some people who are seeing it for the first time. It's also but, opened uh, around the world now too. Yeah, I mean Moonlight's been around for a really long time. So that's oh these issues of momentum are crucial to the Oscars, and it could be true of La La Land too. I mean La La Land may have already peaked, but it keeps winning things. You see, it, it won the PGA. It, Emma Stone won her uh, category. So, so you see, you, and we're, we're, this weekend we'll have the DGAs on Saturday and we'll have um, a week later, we'll have, we'll have the WGAs. So, so we'll see what, you know, where, where we go from here, but in heading right into voting, it looks like fences has more momentum right now than Manchester by the sea. And yet you still are, are pretty high on stone winning actress. And, and Casey Affleck is going, instead of Casey Affleck, where it is is that instead of Casey Affleck being a lock for Best Actor, he's now in a duking it out position. With I Denzel love the Washington. idea of it. This is what the award season does. It's like, who would have thought that like, Casey Affleck and Denzel Washington competing? I mean, it's, just, it's such I a strange I always thought narrative. it was the two of them. Yeah. I always knew that Fences was going to catch up. They're just, I just so fundamentally different. We just different. don't know who, where it's going to be when they all vote. I, and what I wonder, it, though, in there, it's like, how do you change somebody's mind? How do you change the mind of somebody who's like, you know, I like Casey Affleck in Manchester to say, no, 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 it's Denzel's year, or vice versa. Well, remember versa. that Denzel is somebody who's been around. He's won before for training day. He's incredibly charming and familiar and beloved. And, and you know, you have that affectionate movie star feeling for him. And he's been working it. You know, he has been working it. So it. like he did the tribute at the Santa Barbara Film Festival last night. There's a whole group of those going on in the next week or so. I'll be doing one with Isabelle Luper next week. There's going to be one with Jeff Bridges tonight. There's one with Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling. So even, you know, what are they doing? They're charming, that sliver of uh, Academy voters in Santa Barbara. So yeah. who's, so it's, who's, let's talk about actors here. Votes. Then BAFTA comes and, yeah. and it's we'll a, see the never ending do. parade they, of, of charm. Yeah. They were so they were so not going with the African American content. It was but, pretty bad. But let, but so the actress thing is interesting. So who who's got the upper hand in terms of charm with Hubert versus Stone? Because Hubert's not charming in the most traditional sense, but she's Isabel Hubert, and unlike Denzel, she's got that it's her time kind of thing going for her. With Stone, she's young. She's 
She's good. I, I wouldn't it's, say that the contest best there. Work. I think it's not Natalie. Everybody was so sure that Natalie Portman was the one to beat. And I never really believed that. I think she was going to get nominated. And I, I think she deserved to be nominated for Jackie. But she's the young actress who's already won, who, you know, will come back um, on another occasion, who's starring in a movie that's not a best picture contender, who's who's got, you know, plenty of opportunities going forward. I would say that Isabel, you are right. Isabel is you know, undeniable as someone with an entire career behind her. But it's a question of how much people want to go for her, like they did with Marion Cotillard with La Vie Rose, or whether they, you know, like L or CL and how much that factors into it and how much it's just Emma Stone's year. I think it's a very, very close contest. It's a very interesting contest, too, because it also invokes a generational disconnect of sorts. And I don't know all the demos of the Academy, but I was thinking about how, you know, uh, just a a week ago, Emmanuel Riva passed away. And there was that year when she was nominated for Amour. And it's like, come on, this is an icon of French cinema, Hiroshima, Mon Amour, all that kind of stuff. And she loses to Jennifer Lawrence who's basically in the same kind of category as Emma Stone this time, right? I would say that Emma Stone, though, is is the heart and soul of La La Land, and she is um, singing and dancing and acting and, and you know, just adored in this movie. Well, she's a better actor, actor than uh, Ryan Gosling, that's for I sure. I think Ryan Gosling is terrific uh, in the movie. It's just that he makes it look easy and, sure. in a way. And, he's and not doing I, much. I just think other people are going to be ahead of him. Um, Unless La La Land is so strong that it becomes this sort of giant monster pulling them all along. Forget about Casey versus Denzel. Exactly. That would just be wild. But I also feel like we need to acknowledge the documentary category because talk about a substantial race. I mean, with all of these topical issues and very different kinds of styles of filmmaking, it's it's probably one of the harder ones to really assess because OJ's had this incredible conversation around it. It's Is it a TV series? Is it a movie? And how well it kind of uses a, the OJ trial as a distillation of American history. But uh, I Am Not Your Negro, which is finally opening this week, is getting so much attention, rightfully so. Again, this is a momentum question. Exactly. So you have a new movie opening and it gets all these reviews and all these interviews and NPR interviews or Alpec and 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 it's such a good movie. And and you you wrote a, a rave a rave review of it. Um and a, along with a lot of other people. So um, th- that gives it a lot of, of attention right now. I mean, 13th has been out there for a, lo- a while, and, and then you have Ava DuVernay, the master marketer of all filmmakers, I have to say. You know, that's what she used to do for a living, and she applies it to pushing 13th, getting a Q&A with Oprah Winfrey, and, you know, putting all this stuff up on Twitter and everything. Uh, but I will... I- I, I still think OJ Made in America will win because it's very hard to argue with it. And people get mad because it's so long and maybe it's supposed to be considered episodic TV and they get upset because it's hard for a two-hour movie to compete with an eight-hour movie in, in terms of quality. But it, it's just extraordinary and I think it still will win. 
So all this talk about Oscar stuff, and we didn't even get to the sequel to The Ring that's opening this week. I can't believe. Which which you <laughs> lambasted. Yeah, no, forget about it. There are better things to do. Go see I Am Not Your Negro. It's amazing. It's it's opening in a whole Go bunch of places. Go see The Salesman. <laughs> Go see The Salesman. It's a good act of protest. And, um, you know, join us next week because we'll have DGA stuff to talk about, more Oscar nominees that are actually coming out in theaters, and we'll only be two two weeks away from the actual event itself. So there is an end in sight for all of this. In the meantime, have a good one.